0: Welcome back to Interconnected. This is episode three. I'm excited because this is my first week of having a guest come online. Spend a little time with my friend Rick McGregor. He is a full-time mentor in Inner City in Los Angeles. He's also a pastor, a father, and a husband, among other things. So he's a good friend of mine, and I wanted the world to kind of hear his heart. Just like kind of how I've been sharing about my process. Kind of behind the scenes look into why I do the things I do. I wanted to give my buddy Rick an opportunity to, to do that as well. He has some really great insights because of where he's come from and, and what he does. I think you're going to connect with him. Uh, one thing I encourage you to do, just listen for that his heart. It's so, uh, so genuine and that's really one of the things that have drawn me uh, to him. So here we go. I'm here with my friend, Rick McGregor. Uh, we wanted to spend a little time. I wanted to spend a little time for you guys to get to know him. Just as a refresher, this podcast is called Interconnected. We're looking to seek the beauty in the places where work, family, faith, and citizenship come together. Rick, really happy to have this chance to talk to you, my brother. Just wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about yourself, just to kind of give you some things to get started with. Uh, when I think of those words, work, family, faith, and citizenship, I think of you as a as a CEO of a mentoring organization, a, a father, a son, a pastor, an advocate for youth in your community, and probably some other things too. But yeah, maybe if you could talk a little bit about that first thing that I mentioned, just being a CEO of a mentoring organization, I mentor, like what you do and, you know, how you, how, how you ended up Doing what you do and with I mentor,
1: yes. Uh, I want to thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this opportunity. Um, being a CEO, there's a, it's come with a lot of challenges. Um, this is something that chose me. Uh, I had no mm-hmm. desire to be a CEO. Had no desire to mentor. Um, in fact, the way that I grew up, you know, I knew that I wanted to be successful, but all of the successes or most of the successes around me was done by illegal activity. So it was literally just my process through surrendering my life to Christ, um, seeing seeing the same thing in church that I was seeing in the community with the lack of fathers. And so the way that the organization came about is I started taking a few young men to the local park for football, Um, after that, I was asked to coach and I fell in love with what was mentoring, but I didn't know I was mentoring at the time. I just Mm -hmm. knew that I was trying to help young people, uh, and steer them in a different direction that I was steered in or that I went in. And parents were coming up to me and saying to me, I don't know what you're doing, but this particular kid is, 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 tying his shoes or he's being more respectful. And so I would always say, if I ever got an opportunity to do this full-time, I would jump at it. And so I end up getting an opportunity to be a program uh, coordinator, a site coordinator for an organization. And that's where the skills were developed and honed in on. And then we launched, uh, at that time, was Fades for Grades. We didn't launch iMentor Global at the time, which is the name of the overall organization, but Fades for Grades was launched. And we just began to serve young people uh, in a classroom at Crenshaw High School, and it literally developed. And uh, God gave me the idea to completely launch out, to start the programming, and named it iMentor Global. So there's been a lot of challenges from the CEO perspective because I did not know what a CEO was, what a CEO did. All I was was somebody that was extremely obedient, and I began to walk by faith and not by sight. Along the ways, there were many challenges uh, because, again, I didn't necessarily know what I was doing, but my heart was for God, my heart was for the community, and my heart was for young people. And so as I began to take steps, it developed into what it is today, but the challenges from a CEO was very difficult for me because I did not understand all that that entailed. And so it was literally step-by-step, faith-by-faith. And uh, end up where we are today. So it was definitely a lot of challenges, but it was worth every step.
0: Wow. So I'm hearing that you know the whole CEO thing that came at the second step or a little bit later, and it's still still developing. But it really started with the heart. What changed your heart? You know, how did you develop the heart to step out and do something that you know maybe you weren't certain about?
1: Um, well, definitely. You know, the Word of God tells us through love and kindness, have I drawn thee? And so I grew up with a very hard heart, very hardened heart because of the way that I grew up. If you uh, showed any love or any weaknesses, uh, any vulnerability, uh, you would become victim to the circumstances. And so I was always taught as a kid, as a teenager, that only the strong survive. And so my heart was hardened because of my circumstances. But to answer your question as to how it was softened, Literally uh, being in a relationship with someone at that time, I saw this particular person that came home one day and said that they surrendered their life to Christ. And Hmm. for me, I looked at that as a gimmick. I didn't believe Hmm. in Christ. I knew there was something upstairs, if you will, the big guy upstairs, the man upstairs. But I thought it was a gimmick just because of all that I've seen when it comes to Christianity and how I've seen a lot of hypocritical behavior. And so for me, I didn't believe in it. And ultimately, I saw this person changing right before my very eyes. And one day, as I was walking her downstairs, I just began to cry on the streets in front of all the people that were outside. And I was saying, Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're doing to you at that church, but I want to try it. I want a taste of it. And so I ended up going to church for the first time on my own. I've been to church before here and there, but, you know, Easter, maybe Christmas, um, you know, on big holidays, but never um, just because. And so I ended up going to church, man, and uh, the pastor at that time hugged me. And that was the beginning of my heart being changed because I had never been hugged by a man with two arms in my entire life. And so my heart began to change by seeing another person change in front of me, and then going and allowing the word of God to penetrate my heart. And it was a process, but my heart completely and totally, holistically, belongs to God now.
0: Wow! So, so going from that from a place of a hardened heart to to a softened heart, I'm I'm just. Picturing this because, yeah, you know, I, I never, you know, heard just heard the story about being hugged by another man. Like, was that yeah. actually like a big moment? It, was it awkward? Is it a thing that, or it just felt right or? uh
1: No, it was definitely awkward. Um I fought it because the way that we hug in the community is, you know, the man hug, if you will, where we'll kind of pat mm-hmm. each other on the side or we'll do one arm with the handshake and then we'll wrap the other arm around us. But very rarely is it a bear hug in the community. Uh, And that's what I do to my students now. That's what I do (laughs) to my children now. I bear hug them. But I had never been bear hugged like that by a man. So when this man grabbed me, both of my arms were literally at my side. And I was resisting uh, for several seconds because it felt awkward. Um, It was something that I had not experienced. And so I definitely fought it for a few seconds. But then I just begin to weep and my eyes just begin to, or tears begin to flow from my eyes and I fought it, but I can feel that something was breaking during that moment, that there was a release, that there was a breaking um, to literally, I just fell in his arms. I became limp in his arms and I just began to cry and to scream out as a little child, you know, because I knew that although it felt awkward, although I had never experienced it, I knew something was right about it. And I just grabbed on to what I felt was right about it. And I was changed. Uh, the change started there.
0: Wow. And how how old were you about? I was about 24 years old. So if you had, you know, I'm sure you had friends, you know, if they saw that it would just be strange or? Totally. Okay. Totally.
1: Yeah, it would definitely be weird if they saw that because to us, That was something that men didn't do. That's what we were taught. You know, men didn't show emotion. Men didn't show affection. Even today, when I hug my students like that, their first initial response is the way I responded to that man. Now I have students saying to me, I love you first, or coming up to me, hugging me. But that's because they were able to be shown what that looks like and what it feels like. And it's not awkward to show emotion and affection.
0: Well, I feel like there's just so much, of you know, symbolic in this hug you're talking about. Yes. For our listeners, you know, Rick and I, we've done programs together, you know, at schools where we're combining robotics and uh, mm-hmm. mentoring. You know, just thinking back to some of the sessions, the word that comes to me is is vulnerability. Yes. Uh, modeling, you know, showing the kids how to be vulnerable because yes, you, you speak, you have a lot of strength, and you have that i feel like it's street cred i feel like you know just that people can connect with you like you people within your community they like you've experienced it you understand at the same time you have this like amazing tenderness and vulnerability yes and so you know just thinking about how going back to that that moment where maybe were reluctant uh, but receive the hug that you could probably, and you mentioned a little bit, you see it from the kids that you work with now, that same same uh, reaction, like when you totally. give them the hug the first time and they're like, whoa, yeah. what's going on?
1: Yes, yes. It's, it's actually, you know, when you are able to see something you've experienced and then you're able to show the love of Christ the way you received it, it's one of the best feelings in the world because they see me as someone that um, they don't question my manhood. Um, because of my street credibility, they understand that I come from the very grounds, the very trials, the very troubles that they're currently involved in. So they understand that I'm speaking to them and loving on them from a very place that they've actually, they are or they've been. And so it just, the validation is that much more powerful because they understand that if God can do it for him, that if he's saying that he loves me, and I don't question anything about him or about his manhood, then this must be okay. And that's all they're looking for is images and and people that can love them unconditionally and not be afraid of their background, not be afraid of their circumstances, but to love. And I go back to that scripture through love and kindness, have I drawn thee. And that's what God in Christ has done for us, loved us unconditionally, and so I just try to reciprocate that same love that I received.
0: Wow, so so for you, you know one another thought that comes is, you know when you're working with youth in the community, I could imagine that some could receive that love maybe right away, maybe some there's a thicker shell mm-hmm. uh, for, for you, would you say, personally, was your shell pretty thick or was it kind of medium or?
1: No, I had full armor around me, brother. Okay, okay. <laughs> literally, I had full armor because I had been hurt. I had I, I experienced violence at a very young age, and I, I mean, with my mother being beaten in front of my face, uh, with mm. with murder going on around me, gun violence, gang violence, um, just inner city crime. Um, I, I grew up so you're taught at a very young age in the hood that only the strong survive. And so the shell or the armor has to be so thick, where you don't Mm. allow anything to penetrate, or you might be subject to becoming a victim. So it was very thick.
0: Wow. So, you know, you've been doing this for, for how long now with the with the iMentor?
1: Um, The iMentor, we became an official 501C in 2014, but we actually started in 2009, 2010 um, with the mentoring in the classroom, and then it just evolved from there.
0: So almost uh, about 10 years. Yeah, yeah. But mentoring in the
1: community for almost 20, because I started my mentoring in the church, being a youth pastor, uh, children's pastor. Um, football coach, all of that started in the church. You've
0: been doing it for a while and I've seen you in action, bro. And it's just your ability to bring down those walls Mm -hmm. is, is just crazy. And, you know, we're talking about, you might be dealing with, with people that have this armor on, right?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And I've seen it, you know, and you've told me, uh, you've shared stories with me and I've seen it. live, I think the first time that I went into one of your, your sessions, I forget which school it was, but you probably mm-hmm. remember the time, right? You, you yeah. The first time I came out and it's like you get tears. Yeah. You, you got students crying and it's like, you know, how, what would you say? Could you pinpoint it? Like, what's the thing that enables you to help like disarm, to break down that armor?
1: Um, love, compassion, and authenticity. Mm. Those are the three things that the way we're taught to love in the hood is is slightly. No, not slightly. It's just different. You're you're taught love through loyalty. Uh, You're taught love through alliance. Um, Very rarely are you taught unconditional love. Love has always been conditional. So when you are authentic, compassionate, and you show uh, unconditional love, and you're not afraid to also show your emotions. You're not afraid to cry with them. You're not afraid to share your stories. Most oftentimes, as adults, we try to create an image, or we try yeah. to enter in with a, within a character or thinking what they need. And so, oftentimes, you know, I say all the time, kids have an internal radar within themselves where they can smell authenticity immediately. And so I think the compassion, the love, unconditional love, and authenticity is what is able to penetrate the barriers and ultimately the heart.
0: Mm. Good stuff, bro. This is good. (laughs) Good, So I'm going to jump over a little bit to another thing that that you do a big burden you carry but also one that you do willfully and joyfully which is being a pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, can you talk about your history, you know, what you know what you're doing now in that area and, and kind of how you ended up doing it?
1: Um definitely another thing, you know, everything in my life, Ed, has I, I didn't aspire to do or be any of it. Um I know people that are young that says, Hey man, I want a pastor or I want to be a CEO That was never my goal, man. Um, So this is something that the Lord was knocking on my heart. And I didn't realize the preparation because I didn't equate what I was doing in with iMentor Global in the community with youth as pastoring. But I actually had been pastoring much longer uh, than accepting the call. And most oftentimes Mm. people confuse the church with the building. The Bible says we are the church. So God had already had me pastoring um, outside of the confinement or the four walls of the church for years. Uh, but now it was time to be able to structure something a little bit different in the eyes of being able to be in a building because in there's restrictions as far as talking about Christ in the classroom. There's restriction uh, that we have in the program. So God was saying that it's time for the the next chapter of what I've been preparing you for. And so it was something that I was very reluctant in doing because of me being hurt by pastors, because of me seeing the stress, the weight, and the obstacles that pastors had to encounter. But I knew that if it was a way for me to help draw people to my mentor, to my Lord, to my Savior, then I was on board, and that's the way that God presented it to me. He says, Look, I need hmm. you to introduce all of the students and the families that you have been in their lives. I need you to introduce them to me. And this hmm. is how we're going to do it. And so that's how I finally accepted the church as far as pastoring, if you will. And he had given me a name for the ministry years ago
0: Hmm.
1: that I had no idea uh, what it was for, uh, which is house of restoration. And we are called house of restoration because Christ and God is about redemption, restoring. And I am one who have been restored. I've been redeemed. And God is saying that it is now time and The vision or the mission of our church is that we are a bridge from the community to Christ. And the way that's going to be done is all of those that we've served in the community because of the love, the trust, the respect that have been garnered. Now there's a bridge that they would be open to listening to Christ from my voice simply because of the relationship that we've encountered. And so that second phase of actually pastoring was something that he's been prepping and priming in me for a very long time. And once again, reluctantly, I finally (laughs) said, yes, God.
0: Yeah, that's that's beautiful, man. And I I love that, you know, the point you're making about there's a decision of becoming a pastor in one sense, but then also you realizing you've been pastoring for a long time, you know, and that sometimes... We see that roles are things that we do as, as a vocation or a job, mm-hmm, you know, exactly. and, you know, but really it's, it's, it's already in you, you yes. know, and, you know, realizing that I love that you stepped out. So how's, so how's that for you? How long has it been about a year or a little bit more?
1: Uh, it's been a year since we've actually been in a space, but we started off in our living room, um, literally just with a very, very small group. Um, and, you know, even with uh, you and Vicki had come out and you guys were uh, worshiping with us and, and leading us in worship. And we had just been talking for years uh, just about different things. So started off in our living room uh, and then we had to open up one of our bedrooms uh, because the living room was getting a little tight. And so we opened up one of our bedrooms for our youth to be able to go in there. And then that got to a point where we were running out of space and there were limitations because of our living room and it being our home. But we were willing to experience those, uh, those, those things because of our heart for God. And then a door opened for us to be able to rent a upstairs sanctuary uh, in Paramount. And we ended up uh, stepping out as God led us to do so. Um, it was something that we were able to forward, Uh, But we knew that Paramount was not the city that we were called to. But what I realized just recently is that God was using this last year and us in Paramount to strengthen our team, but more important to build me. He had to build me in a way to prepare me for what's next on uh, the horizon, for what's up and coming, uh, because it allowed me, because of my fear, because of my hesitancy, because of my reluctancy, uh, I was a little hesitant in doing so, and so he was able to take me on the backside of the mountain with not too many people and to sharpen some things, to to continue to purify my heart, to to continue to help me to see that that as long as I am walking with my eyes on him like Peter, then everything's going to be fine. And if I begin to sink, all I need to do is call on him. So it's been actually an amazing transition, and we're currently uh, in negotiations for a space here in South L.A., because that's where God has oh. called us to be here in South LA, but we needed to be in paramount for a season in order for some structuring and some growth to continue to take place.
0: Wow. So you're, you're continuing to grow. No question. Sounds like that's no uh and, and I love the, you know, I, just the theme keeps on coming up for me, which is that you're, you're going through transformation. Yes. You know, your, your heart is opening, you're being refined and, uh, as that's happening you feel like it's important to bring that to those around you.
1: No question. You know? No question.
0: That's amazing, man. Can you talk about South LA like how do you know that that's supposed to be your spot? You know, what made it so clear to you that that's your your place of ministry?
1: Well, I've been here in South LA my entire life. 46 years old. I'll be 47 in October. Um I'm born and raised in the hoods of South Central Los Angeles. Um from Uh, my family being in the Watts area, you know, but just being in South LA, East side of LA uh, for all of my life. And so our programming started here in South LA. So when I mentioned to you previously about God prepping the land, priming the land, um, that's what he's been doing literally from day one, from the day that I was formed in my mother's womb but to the all the trials, all the relationships of uh, that we've garnered in programming with principals and and teachers, and, and and mothers, and fathers, and, and community leaders, and, and students have all been here in South LA. And so literally, we have been, I've lived, grown up in South LA, but my family and I, we have a home here in South LA, right around the corner from the church, uh, or the building that we're pursuing. And right behind that building is a homeless camp in which we adopted that homeless camp about a year ago, where we went in and and we brought food and and some supplies. And we've been doing that periodically from that year. And God said, this belongs to you. This is your space for you to do my work. And so this is something where a building, um, he's already shared his word with me regarding that building, but We attacked that building some years ago, but it just wasn't the right time. And Mm. lo and behold, another door has opened and the owners of the building are very eager. It's been empty for about two and a half years. And so I would always find myself asking God, why is that piece of property still empty when it's a great space? And he says, because I've set it aside for the work that I've called you guys to do. And so he has spoke mm. to me specifically in letting me know that South LA, although there are many churches out here, that South LA is definitely where he's called us to do work, and it will e- extend and branch out. But that is where our hub is, South LA, South Central Los
0: Angeles. Wow, I'm born and raised, huh?
1: Born and raised, been here all my life, man.
0: Yeah, you know, um, you know. Thank you for sharing that. It sounds like it. It really is a. Uh stepping out in faith, no question, right? And and pursuing pursuing it at all costs. So that's another thing that I kind of, I keep hearing, you know, going back to the, just being in South LA, I mean, you, you were in LA during the LA riots. Yes. Is that right? And, and, you know, with recent events with the George Floyd murder and the protesting and things, I wanted to ask you just from your perspective and just being in LA through it all, have you seen things change in terms of the temperature of of racism and those kind of things, or has it kind of been the same, or have you seen any evolution?
1: Um, ultimately, behind the scenes, things have pretty much stayed the same. Okay. Um, I'm a very, I'm a very, I'm an advocate for seasons. I understand in 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 God, in Christ, in life, there's going to be seasons of peace, seasons of turmoil. And so one of the things, you know, just with police brutality and injustices, none of these things are new, Ed. The difference Mm -hmm. is, is that everyone now has a cell phone with a camera and the ability to record. But these kinds of injustices have been taking place for centuries, literally. And so there's been seasons where things have been calmer, Um, As you mentioned, the L.A. riots, I was actually a part of that. Uh, I actually rioted uh, in those riots. I was a part of the destruction of the community, the destruction of the family, the destruction of of structure. And so Mm -hmm. looking at my perspective now and where I am, I would definitely say things have pretty much stayed the same. For instance, with the L.A. riots, there was a huge uprising as a result of the frustration of those cops being found not guilty even after they were recorded. And so when you have Mm -hmm. injustices like that, I personally have been physically abused by the police. I personally Mm -hmm. have been racially profiled by the police. And so it's hard to say have things changed. There's been some evolution but ultimately, it's the laws. But then even going deeper than that, there's more that we can do as a community. So uh, it, it's a few variables within that. So there's been some change, but not enough to make a huge dip.
0: Wow. And, and so, so, Rick, in, in being a part of the LA riots and, and being a recipient of what's going on, I'm curious just to kind of learn about your process, you know, and, you know, what are the things that bubble up for you? did you talk about that a little bit
1: absolutely um some anger but more compassion um because i understand oftentimes when people view the destruction of property the first thing that they think or 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 they say is, is look at those people or look at that mob or why are they so stupid? Mm. Why are they uh, responding in the way that they're responding? And while I do not agree at all with the destruction of anything, I understand it because I participated in it and I've been able to experience mm. all phases. You get mm. so fed up with feeling like people are not listening, that they're not hearing You had the Watts riots, 30 years later, the LA riots, 30 years later, you now have the riots from George Floyd. Why even just speaking to those riots after 90 years, we're still dealing with the same thing. And so is there anger that comes up? Yes. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I understand that it was the word of God that transformed me. It's Mm. the love of God. So I look at things from a different perspective because I've been in each phase of what I see. And so there's anger, Ed. There's great level of compassion, but then it lets me know even more that the calling on my life, I see more and more why it's valuable that all of us set aside our fears and begin to do what God has called us to do. The Bible says that it's okay to get angry, but sin not. But if you don't understand the word of God, the love of God, the principles of God, then that anger is going to be released in very detrimental ways. And that's why it's important that we have things to help folk understand the love and the power of God. So there's a multitude of emotions, but I'm able to channel those emotions the right way now, but most of our young people or seasoned people are just fed up and they don't know how to appropriately and properly channel that energy. And that's where we as believers come in, where we don't judge, we show love, we show compassion, and we figure out what can we do to help.
0: Hmm. Wow. And again, just going back to the, the transformation that you have been through and are going through, yes, right, in the softening of the heart and allowing love to, at the end of the day, rain, even yes. though it's it's you know easier said than done, you know, in, yeah. in in a way too. Um, I know, Rick, that you have been holding uh, talks with youth uh, recently. You know what 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 are the some of the things that you know youth are dealing with right now in respect to recent events?
1: Well, actually, we had a call yesterday. Um, uh, and we'll have another one tonight, but I actually wrote down a list of things that they mm. shared and just simply what's wrong with our hood or our mm. neighborhoods. And so just some things just from this list that I'm looking yeah. at now, um, that talked about the lack of role models, um, not working together, um, being selfish or, or thinking about ourselves, um, uh, blaming others too much, um, too much, uh, what we call flossing, which is having the designer this and the designer that, but not focused on the right things, but the wrong things, the lack of unity in some situations, the level of education or resources that's giving to the inner city, Um, the lack of positive outlets, Um, parents being more friends to their children as opposed to being a disciplinarian, as opposed to creating more structure. And so, you know, the gangs, the violence, um, the healthy eating, uh, you know, more cops that look like the people that come from the hood. You know, that's a Mm. whole nother conversation because Mm. the police has always been shown to us through the way we were raised and through their actions that they're the enemy. So we don't have a lot of black and brown officers that come from the hood where they would have a better level of sensitivity when they see a certain reaction. They understand it's not threatening, but it's just an, a, a reaction that typically would happen in the neighborhood. So just things like that. But they're frustrated, at. But at the same mm-hmm. time, surprisingly, on the call, a lot of them, although they a lot of them disagree with tearing stuff up, um, But they understand the same thing as me how one can get so frustrated. And if you think about it, Ed, we all suffer from displacement anger. So, Mm. but some of us, you know, we may punch a wall, we may cuss someone out, we may go overeat, we may, you know, unfriend somebody. And so we all have our ways of dealing with frustration and anger. But when you've been dealing with something for you know, 100 plus years, 400 plus years, several centuries, you know, they become frustrated. But one of the things that I always try to do is redirect that energy. Okay, yes, this is wrong. Yes, George Floyd was was just outright murdered. But what can we do? How can we better stabilize? And we talked about reparations yesterday. Reparations Mm. is basically reimbursement. Oftentimes we've heard for years, 40 acres and a mule. But what I wanted them to see is how can we begin inner reparations? What can Hmm. we do more of to help repair? Because that's the root word of reparations is repair. What can Hmm. we do to begin to repair? So they have all kinds of emotions, Ed, but my job and my calling is to help channel that energy. Because if we go destroy something, that leaves us with nothing now people there are some things changing, but ultimately yeah. we have to learn how to position ourselves to have a seat at the table as opposed to throwing rocks from the sideline,
0: yeah, well, and then just this idea of of changing on the inside, yes, yes, right, and not just the external and that the hard the tough work that 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 takes as well you know yes. and i you know I, just something that I want to point out and I know that you're, this is part of you, but I just kind of realized now as we're talking that there's just this concept that there's uh, anger that we all, did you call it, is it displaced anger? Displaced anger, right? Yes. Displaced anger, right? Like we all have that. And you're not saying that you can't get angry, uh-huh. um, but you're saying, you know, let's, let's channel that in a healthy way. Let's process that. You know, I, I think of this one time, you have probably done this all the time. I always ask you like, where you come up with this stuff, man? You're like, it right. just came to me, right? <laughs> like in class. You know, you, you know the one with the um with with the soda bottle, you shake it up. That's right. Right? That's right. You shake it up and then you say, you know what's going to happen if you open this, right? It's going to like just go all over the place, but if you open it slowly, right? You get that right. Little, tss, right? It little, right? Little comes out and you give the kids that image of like, okay, we are all we do all get bottled up right uh but if we just let it out like just all at once it's a big mess right that's right but we can we can slowly let it out and so this the phrase okay i got this man it's a safe place to clear space right Mm -hmm. i I feel like that's what you're doing you're you're, you know creating that space so that people can clear their stuff that's right and that's right and, and to talk that's right um Rick, do you find that given that the youth, are they willing to process and, and to share? Or is it like, is it a battle? You know, what, what is it like for you?
1: Um, in some cases, they just begin to flow like a faucet, Ed. Okay. And in other cases, you have to allow them their process. And that's mm. them getting comfortable. That's them f- building trust. Because too often times, they've released emotions and, And it came back to bite them. And so it it can happen when you sit down with some students and they just begin to pour out their feelings and emotions. But the second part of Safe Place to Clear Space, which is our mission, the second part of our mission is igniting change from the inside out. And so firstly, a safe place to clear space, second is to ignite change from the inside out. Because- that's where change starts. I don't care how wealthy you are, how poor you are, how educated you are, how uneducated you are. If there is not change in the inside, then it really doesn't matter how much you acquire or how much you don't have. And so in all of my years doing this, that's why our program is designed to attack the inside. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm a component for arts. I'm a component for everything that's out there, sports um, and all of the other programming that have. But they have. But none of those programs are designed strictly to attack the inside. And that's where our program is designed to attack the inside. Because mm. if we can penetrate the inside, if we can get them to trust us, and to open the faucet. You know, I always use this example. We've all, at some point in our lives, have been constipated. And <laughs> being constipated <Yeah>. is <laughs> very, <laughs> it's very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. And, hey, Rick,
0: I'm just curious. Have you used this one in class? I have you used this in I class? I
1: absolutely have. I absolutely I bet they, I bet they
0: love it, man. They get um, the same <laughs> response, right?
1: They do. They start laughing immediately <laughs> because we can all identify with ourselves yeah, yeah, Okay. Like, all As right, I'm old. with you. <laughs> so we've all been constipated, and it's a very uncomfortable feeling. But the moment you have relief, you feel better. And that's the concept in which we deal with. And those are examples. I give them very real, raw, relevant and raw examples because I need to meet them where they are. All of us know what it means to be constipated, but we may not all know what it means to suppress anger. And so if I'm saying mm-hmm. words to them that they cannot identify with, then what I'm saying is going to go in one ear and out the other. But when yeah. I talk about constipation, we can all laugh at that because we've been there. <laughs> and so yeah. our desire and design for our program is to help them dump. They need to dump the pain, dump the hurt dump the issues, dump the fear, dump the depression, dump all of the things that they experience so that they can feel relieved and released. And now that that weight is gone, I noticed in all of the years, Ed, it's never that our young people are unable to do their work academically. But Mm -hmm. when you're worried about hunger, fear, if the lights are gonna be on, if I'm gonna have food, if, if there's going to be violence at my home, am I going to make it to school today? Am I going to get shot? Am I going to be approached by a gang member? It's hard to focus on education. So it's not that yeah. they don't want it, but they're walking around constipated from life. And so our program is designed to give them release and relief, which helps them to pursue and to see life from a deeper a more broader
0: perspective. Wow, and and it begins with, with letting some of those things out. No course. Right? Being able to talk, creating a space so they could talk about it.
1: That's right, very important. If they don't have a space, because most of them can't go to their parents because of the defunct dysfunction that their parents are experiencing. I know when I was yeah. younger, if I tried to talk to my mom or dad about something, you know, get out of here, man. You're, you're, you're a child. You don't know what that means. You don't need to talk about that right now. And so mm-hmm. if I go talk to the homies, you know, my friends or my peers about some things, you know, hey, man, let's smoke. Let's talk about it. Let's drink. Let's have sex. Yeah. So most oftentimes when they don't have any place to talk, that's where the gangs come from. Eh? They're looking mm-hmm. for a place to belong. That's where they end up doing things because they're in a situation to where if I can't get released through outletting healthy, then I'm going to smoke it away. I'm going to drink it away. I'm going to have sex until, my, until it disappears. I'm going to rob. I'm going to do things. So this is, again, what I talked about earlier, displaced anger. Our program is designed to help that emotion, that anger, uh, those obstacles to be channeled in the right way.
0: Wow, it's beautiful, bro. Man, yeah, I just love it. Yeah, you know, Amen. I just appreciate your your heart and just the way you you put it just now. You know, yeah. the displaced anger. It just really it makes a lot of sense.
1: Yes, yes. You
0: know, And you being from the community and you going through a lot of the things that uh, the youth are going through. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I'll say awesome, this. Um, yeah, I, I used to think, why me? Why? Yeah. Why did I have to? you know, grow up the way that I grew up? Why did I have to experience the violence? Why, why, why? And I'm not going to say that God created what I went through, but -hmm. there are certain things that he allows to happen in our life so that we can be a witness, a testimony, or more impactful for the ultimate calling that he has for each and every one of us. I see why I had to go through brokenness because I can speak about brokenness, not from a book I've read, not from mm. a degree that I've earned, but because I've been through brokenness. I've experienced the tears, the violence, the gangs, the dysfunction. And so I understand why he kept me alive. I understand why he didn't allow me to go to prison for the rest of my life. It wasn't because I didn't do things. It was because he had a calling on my life. Even before I recognized him, even before I acknowledged him, he said, I formed you. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says that he has plans for us, plans to prosper, plans of success, plans of hope and not failure. And so it makes sense to me now, and now I'm able to embrace Not only my past, but I'm also able to embrace my present and embrace my future because I understand that it never was about me, but it was about the plan of God that he had on my life for my life. And because of that is why my heart, when I tell you, Ed, I'm Mm. madly in love with God, man, I've never Mm. loved anything or anyone as much as I love him. He has my heart, he has all of me because of what I've experienced. And I know that God has a calling specifically in the area of South LA to begin, but also just to help people understand that it's never over, it's never too late. And if you're willing to open your heart when he knocks, he will enter in. So I understand so much more of why me now uh, uh, based on where I am than I ever have in my life, brother.
0: Wow. Thank you, man. You know, hearing you share that too, you know, just coming back to that displaced anger and, you know, just to see how that's been processed for you mm-hmm. to have a result of, you know, a grown man saying I'm madly in love with God, you know, yes. it's like, yes. You know, in some sense, like you know, people could say that doesn't sound very manly. You know, not that's at not, all. <laughs> that's not something I would say. Yeah, totally. You know, but to you, it's and, and you've you've lived this is that it's extremely important to to have that kind of relationship, mm-hmm. right? And the only way we can have that relationship is to be open, is to be is to be vulnerable, right? Yes. To be yeah. able to, you know, what you know, people are going to say that, that that's all right. You know, what's important is. It's something else. That's right. What's going on on the inside. It's about our relationship with each other, with God. Appreciate you, brother. You you are definitely a, a light. You're definitely a light in your community. And it's from God because I, I just hear so much hope in, in what you're saying. At the same time, this is the reality, right? This is what our community is going through. This is what our youth are going through. Uh, but that being said, there's hope.
1: That's right. That's right. And that's what it's about. Hope. Hope is the substance of things. Um, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And we don't see it, but if we can continue to walk by faith and not by sight and exercise that hope, and that's what I know I am. I've raised my family in South Central L.A., Um, You know, I'm a husband of almost 19 years. I have a 17-year-old daughter and an 18-year-old son. Mm. Uh, My son has just graduated uh, from uh, St. Bernard's as valedictorian. Uh, He's on his way to Cal Berkeley. Um, Just many awards, many scholarships. And so it's not about leaving the community. That's what we've been taught our entire life, just make it out of the hood. No, Mm. I I don't agree with that. What about if we stay in the hood but we begin to re regenerate those that are coming behind us. I used to be a recruiter for gangs, a recruiter Mm. for crime. Now I'm a recruiter for Christ. And so it's not about the location. It's about allowing God in any situation, be it in the lowest bottom of the hoods or in the mountaintops of Bear Lair, regardless of where you are, It is for not, if God is not involved. And so I am a visual example of what can happen through love, through the power of God, and ultimately through saying yes. God doesn't look for perfection, but what he desires is persistence. And that's the one thing that I can say. I haven't been perfect yet. I've Mm -hmm. made my mistakes. But the one thing that I have been is persistent and that'll never change. And for me to say I'm in love with God, I never said I loved anyone. (laughs) That was something we didn't say. I wasn't spoke. I didn't say I love you. I tell my children I love them every day. I tell my wife I love her every day. I tell my students I love them every time I talk to them. Now they say it first. Before we get off the amazing. call and say "I love yeah. you, brother," you know, and, and that's uncommon, brother. That's uncommon, yeah. you know, for these yeah. hardened gangbangers and these victims <laughs> of society down there saying "I love you." That is so uncommon, but that's what love through Christ and 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 uh, the loving kindness can do.
0: No, it's a, it's amazing work that that you've been able to do. You know, and I, you know, we'd be hanging out you know, just in LA and running, you would run into former students, right? No question. And just having them say, McGregor, McGregor, yes. you know, and we're doing yes. this. It's that, you you know, seeing that even just, I, I could totally see that. Just the ability to say, I love you. Yes. That something's happening, you know, no something's question. happening in our hearts. And if we could love someone, if we could love someone close to us, like starting there, right? Like someone we know, uh-huh. we're that much closer to being able to love others, you know, love others who we don't know. And love others, even who are our enemies, you know, like those kind of things. But just starting with, let's create a safe place. That's right. right. So love it, man. I, you know, I wanted to, like the last role I wanted to cover was just being, being a father. You mentioned uh, Ricky Berkeley, right?
1: Yeah. yeah, Yep. I mean,
0: how, how was that as dad getting in and just the whole, I mean, you've, how did, how did you process that in him getting into Berkeley?
1: Man, Ed, when I tell you it's one of my most accomplished, proudest Mm. moments, not only as a father, but as a man, as a human being, man. Um, So many dysfunctions. Um, I never met my grandfather. My children never met their grandfather. My father was murdered, shot in the back of his head, drug deal gone bad. Hmm. And so there's been a lineage of children not meeting their grandfather, of not being able to accomplish certain things, not being able to make it out of the hood. And so for me to be the start of the change that I so desired to see, and not only that, for him to be accepted to 19 schools, um, yeah. was, oh man, I, I get choked up just thinking about it. And he comes to me just recently, a couple of days ago. And he just says, thank you, dad. Thank you. Wow. And, you know, I said, Hey man, you're welcome. But I didn't quite know why. Yeah, I yeah. Said, I said, why? He says, thank you for raising me in God, for teaching mm. me to love Christ. Mm. And, Ed, when I tell you that moment brought me to my knees, mm. I begin to weep because that is the answer. Christ is the answer. But most of our homes are not being taught Christ or not being shown Christ. And so for my son and with my daughter, she's going to be a senior next year. She's going to receive two AA degrees before she receives her high school diploma. Their accomplishments just words cannot even express my brother how proud I am. And especially Mm -hmm. because of all of my dysfunction, no one can tell me that it's not possible Yeah, because I've been able to do it through Christ. And so just seeing him and him going to a public Ivy League, he chose that school for business, uh, usually the top two, three business school in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, Not only that, Ed, He's received enough scholarships where there will be zero cost to my family as a result of the hard work, the love of Christ, the discipline, and the surrendered spirit, the surrendered heart. And so I'm immensely proud to have parented them, especially while trying to parent other students or trying to Mm. parent the community. Oftentimes, people parent the community, but forget to parent the children that are in their house. God has graced me where we've been able to parent the community, but ultimately parent our two children that God Mm -hmm. has blessed us with. So I'm proud, brother. I'm proud.
0: Yeah, man, you're getting me choked up, bro. That was, it's amazing. And just hearing you just talk about it, you know, to some from the outside, it's someone going to college, right? Yes, But for you, it's a place of healing. No it's a question. place of, of victory. That's it. right? Of pr- of pride, like just being yes. a proud father and love. Yes. Uh, the fact that Ricky said that, man, that's what he said, huh?
1: That's what he said a couple days ago, brother. Yeah. Literally. That, 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 kid, brother,
0: that kid's man. deep, man. He's deep. He's you know like,
1: what, man? He, 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 he surprises me the depth of his conversations, man. And uh, with all of the pride, pride
0: the yeah.
1: thing that really sticks out is the restoration. See, God gave us that name for our ministry, but in order to speak firmly and holistically about restoration, one has to first be restored. I I can speak to you about restoration because I am an image. I'm an entity. I'm a person who not only has been restored as as an individual, but Generations will be changed as a result of my obedience and restoration, and that is what really rings bells to me, man. I mean, it was a very emotional and proud moment for my son to say, Thank you for showing me Christ, it means the world to me, brother.
0: Good stuff, bro. And you know, the speaking to you know, you made a point of being able to be a part of that mentoring process for so many youth i mean probably at least hundreds right I, I don't know the number but it's i would say probably at least hundreds and uh being able to still parent your kids effectively you know we've we've heard of stories right of people pouring into things outside the house and not being able to take care of things on the inside and that's just a common tension maybe it's it's not out of like intent but it just happens cuz the ministry outside is so is so much that's right, and being able to do both that's awesome, you know, and the, and before I let you go the the last one that we got to talk about is Rick' his husband, yes, I mean, could you talk about you know just your process with that, you know, and yeah, how how it's been becoming Rick the husband
1: uh that has actually been one of my biggest challenges, hmm. and for many reasons, with the father, my son asked me one day, Dad, how do you know? how to be a good dad. Mm. And I said, man, I just gave you and your sister, everything that I wish I had. Mm. But as a husband, I didn't know what I wish I had as a husband because I've never been a husband. Mm. I didn't have a model or an image of a husband because my father and my mother were married, but they didn't stay together. I have, Three, two siblings, and we all have different parents. Mm. So husband for me was foreign. I had no blueprint. I had no understanding of it. And so it was difficult for me to learn, to know what that looked like, having not had any examples. There's no manual. Now we have the Bible But when you are transitioning or you're a new convert, sometimes that's not enough. Mm. And so one of the biggest challenges was dying to myself, Hmm. dying to my wants, my needs. And it's one thing that Christ has given, shown unconditional love to me. But now you have to exhibit that same unconditional love to another human being. And because most of us as human beings are conditional lovers, sometimes that can be tough. But the one thing that has kept my wife and I is we both love God with all of our hearts. We both had a desire to not allow the enemy to destroy what God has put together. Mm. And so that challenge for me has been one of my toughest battles. And even going into 19 years, I'm finally beginning to see some things that I didn't see in year 15, in year seven, in year three. It's a constant evolving and evolution and a constant unconditional love of having to give. And so I thank God for having a wife that was not like me because I didn't grow up with the family like that. And so when any time troubles would hit, I would be the first one to say, okay, it's time to break up, it's time to separate. Mm-hmm. But my wife would be the one that say, no, that's not an option. And so the Lord has worked on me tremendously in the area of being a husband. And we were met married very early and very soon. And so there were a lot of challenges that we encountered, but the one thing that we had in common and the one thing that has sustained us is the unconditional love of Christ towards us and being able to reflect that to one another. And I thank God, man. There was many Mm. times that it looked like it wasn't gonna work, but Mm. God has graced us enough to trust him. And when I tell you that we're in a place today that has taken a lot of work, a lot of Mm. prayer, a lot of submission, but we have been determined to see mm. this thing through, man. And so I'm really proud of the husband I am because most husbands in our circle or most spouses in our circumstances would have aborted the mission. Mm. And uh, I thank God for the stick to itness that we've encountered. And I know that God has a plan for us, and that's why the enemy attacks us so hard because of what we're able to accomplish together. And so it's been a challenge, but it's been a great reward as well because of the power of God is reminded. He says that we ought to treat our spot, love our wives as Christ loved the church. And that's not always the easiest thing to do, my brother. (laughs) But because he's loved me through my mess, I'm thankful to be married to that woman. Uh, It'll be 19 years this August, August 17th. It'll be 19. All
0: right, coming up. Coming up,
1: anniversary time? Every anniversary time, man. So one of my biggest challenges, but also to be able to show the community, to be able to show my children, to be able to show uh, the students we serve that Christ is is a healer and he's a restorer. And there's nothing too big or too hard for God. So I'm really proud to say that although we've had some challenges, God still sits high on the throne when it comes to us. That's right, man. Yeah,
0: I appreciate you sharing that. Absolutely. You know, it's you know earlier we were talking about authenticity, right? And and you know what what is the thing that helps people? Like, how do we break through that armor? Mm-hmm. I feel like what you said was just so so authentic, and I could see it, man. You get you have this uh, just spending this little this time this past hour together, just ability to help people open up and and you don't expect people to open up automatically. You know, you're right. like, I'm going to show you first. That's right. That's you know, right. I'm sc- and I'm going to talk about what's real and what I've been through. Mm-hmm. And and at the same time, if they share there's there's no judgment.
1: Yes. Yes. That's that safe place.
0: Safe place. So thank you, Rick, for creating the safe place yes. on this little interview, you know, and yeah, I just want to appreciate you and the reason I started this podcast is to talk about what what it's like for anyone to walk out work family faith and citizenship you know helping the community how how can that all fit mm-hmm. and I can see from you and you might you might have something to add to it but what I see for you Rick is that faith is like it just permeates all areas yes Yes. It's like if your faith is speaking and it's like Rick head mentor, C of I mentor, then there you go. If it's house of restoration, that's where you're going to be. If it's father, that's what you're going to, you're going to grow. You might be scared. You're going to do that. If it's husband, even if there's challenges, you know that if God's put it in front of you, he's going to help you through and you're willing yes. to be refined. Yes. Does that work for you? Is that sum it up or?
1: That is absolutely a great summary, Ed. Um, Literally, I know that faith from my life, I know that all things are possible and that's exactly what it's about. I don't expect anything from anybody, but what I do is I open up my portal first. Hmm. And by opening up my portal first, should you choose to respond by opening up yours? Great. If not, you're going to be loved unconditionally. And there's often times where students will sit in program for weeks not say anything, but they're listening and they're taking it in. I had a young lady, I'll share this really quick. I had a young lady that's, we, we've been doing calls through Zoom. I just had a young lady, she doesn't speak much on Zoom, but yeah. she privately messaged me and she said, I just want you to know that although I don't say anything, your transparency, your love, and your authenticity has been helping me so much. And she says, one day I'm going to open up and begin. Actually, she shared something very personal. Hmm. Uh, But that was just the beginning. That's usually how it works, brother. I'm going to open up my porter. I'm going to be transparent first. I'm going to love hard. And um, whatever happens, I want you to be comfortable. So that safe place to clear space, igniting change first from the inside, and then it will eventually show on
0: the outside. Awesome, man. Well, keep up the great work. Appreciate you as a friend, as a brother. And, uh, you know, I look forward to just continuing to encourage each other in our journeys. Yes. You know, I appreciate you, man. Before I let you go, uh, if uh, any of our listeners want to support what you're doing, what's the best way for them to find you or to contact you?
1: Um, they can reach us uh, on our website, which is iMentorGlobal, org. Uh, They can also catch us on any social media platforms, which would be iMentor Global on Instagram, iMentor Global on Facebook, and there's also an icon to donate on our website. Uh, So we would definitely love your support in any way, Um, and we are someone that's been in the community, and we're helping people on the ground level. So any support would be greatly appreciated and much needed.
0: All right. Thank you, brother. I think uh, I'll let you go now. Appreciate the time, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you for
1: having me, man, and many blessings. uh, And I'm praying that this podcast, not this interview in particularly, but what you're doing will bless a multitude of people. And I appreciate you stepping out, brother, and doing what God has called you to do.
0: Thank you, man. Thank you. Take care. Okay. You too. So I was really humbled to spend that time with Rick. I've known him for years. But I actually learned some things during, during our chat. So before I sign off, I want to encourage you guys to give to iMentor Global and what he's doing. Um, I honestly don't have a lot of close relationships where I can intimately say, I know this person's heart. I know the person behind doing what you guys see out there. Rick is one of those people. As you've heard, his heart is a heart of gold. So if you want to support transformation of hearts inside the inner city, please do consider um, helping him out. I appreciate you guys taking the time. If you listen to the whole hour, that's great. That's awesome to hear and learn about my friend Rick. So that's all I got for you guys for now. Until next time, talk to you later.